On yesterday's episode, we sat down with US Open champ Bryson DeChambeau to hear a little bit more about the man behind the driver cap. Today, he joins us again for part two of the interview. How did Bryson win at Wingfoot? What has been the reaction since? What does he make of golf's future and is he breaking the game? I'm Dylan DeChere and this is The Drop Zone. But first, this episode of The Drop Zone is brought to you by Cobra Puma Golf. The most compelling club of the year is a pretty easy call, right? It's the Speed Zone driver, the one in Bryson's bag. I've got one in the bag myself, and I've got to tell you, I have no plans to get rid of it anytime soon. I swear by it, I've been spreading the word, and if you want to add the Cobra Speed Zone driver to your bag, head to cobragolf.com today. That's cobragolf.com. All right, so like I mentioned before, this is part two of our sit-down with Bryson. To hear part one, including uh, how he would sneak off to his high school art teacher's room during lunch to work on his ping-pong game, check out yesterday's episode. We promise, it's worth it. All right, now to Bryson, part two. All right, take me through the week at Wingfoot a little bit. You know, looking back now, how do you remember the first couple rounds? I remember hitting it really well. Um... To be honest with you, man, it was it was a weird, weird week. I, I pumped the drive on one. I remember that. That was I was like, okay, I, I have the horsepower. And the wind was a completely different direction the first day compared to the last three days. It was coming from the south, I think. And you know, number one, I hit driver and a little flip wedge into into one, and I made a fifteen footer. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we're off to the races. It's just a great start. Um, you know, I played really well. I, I finished bad coming in that round, but I still felt confident. And I knew that if I kept playing this way and I kept giving myself chances and bombing it, uh, I'd be okay. The next day came around, wind completely switched. I'm like, crap, this is not going to be easy. First, second, third, fourth holes are not going to be easy, even fifth hole. And then, uh, you know, you got 11, 12, 13, or no, 12, 14. Uh, 15 are all going to be into the wind. And those were like, man, those are so, those, those are so hard, but I knew my length would still be an advantage. And I prepped for the wind being coming off the South all week. That's what I thought it was going to be. Not knowing that it was going to flip the, the other way. So I had to re- completely reevaluate some, some things in my head and how to play, where to play from what angles uh, based on certain pin locations. And you can see, you know, how I missed it in certain areas quite consistently because I knew that's where I could play from, mm-hmm. you know, like four, I missed it left every single day. I couldn't miss it. Right. Uh, 14, I missed it left every single day. Cause I knew I could run it up uh, from there. If you hit it over the right, you would, there's some trees blocking. It's just a bad angle. And so there's just a lot of places that, that I knew I could play from uh, th- that I tried to make sure I hit it in that area. Number 16, for example, I knew I couldn't miss it left. I had to be right. Or, or, you know, if I drew it perfect, it was great. So I always made sure I aimed a little more right and tried to draw it a little bit more. Um, so I just, I played the golf course the way it allowed me to play it per how far I was hitting it. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, going through, through the week, it, it was weird Saturday. I didn't have anything. I was so nervous. Three putt of the first hole, bad bogey in the second hole, made an unbelievable par on three, unbelievable par on four. And I'm, you know, I'm just holding on for dear life. Oh, Patrick Reed is playing really good. And uh, seven, I made this, you know, 30-footer. I missed a little six-footer on six. I'm like, goodness gracious, I don't know what's going on. I knew that the day was going to be tough because I couldn't figure out my golf swing, couldn't figure stuff out. I just lost a little bit. 
seven made a 30 footer, uh, something like that for birdie. And, you know, momentum started to go my way, even though, you know, I wasn't playing great. And as time went on, I just got a little better. I got a little lucky in some, some instances and, you know, 16, 17 made those birdies. Uh, and that just, you know, that, that was kind of like, okay, you know, I can do this. Even though Wolf is five under, I, I know I gave myself a really good chance for, for tomorrow. And so, you know, that's why I was ready to head to the range. Um, yeah. And sorry for cutting you all short a little bit, but I was, I was just ready to go because I knew if I could figure it out tonight, I'd have an amazing chance to win the next day. And that's what I did. No, that was great. We got a chance to catch up with you just for a couple minutes on your way to the range Saturday, which was cool. I'm wondering, because um, you mentioned Patrick Reed, you played with him on Saturday. He was in the lead of the golf tournament and then obviously shot 43 on the back nine Saturday, um, which, you know, we talked about once you get a little bit off on that golf course, there's a whole lot of, of bad stuff that can happen. But how much are you affected by the guys that you're playing with? Sorry. What? <laughs> wait say that again especially when you're hitting it that short no i'm just kidding i'm giving him a hard time <laughs> i love it how much do your playing partners affect you i mean you and patrick are you guys are buddies if i understand it correctly i mean how much does it make a difference if the guy's playing well or not playing well if you have a good relationship or no relationship does it matter it doesn't matter it's about i'm gonna go out there and get a job done um i've always been that way even playing with that's what i learned when i was a junior golf I mean, we were friends after, um, even before, but once you're on the golf course, we're fighting for our lives. That's the way I viewed it. Yeah. And that's the way I played it. You know, no matter what, just grinding on every shot, doing my best to, to play my best, obviously being respectful and doing as much as you can to, to show respect for the other player. But for the most part, it's, it's, Hey, I'm in it to win it. Yeah. You're in the arena. And I think, I mean, we can see that from the outside. You're an intense guy inside the ropes. I think, you you know, we've talked about when you catch grief, that's sometimes why it is, you know, because you are in the zone. You say stuff that comes off differently than you probably mean it. Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and it is what it is. But uh, I, I'm working on doing better every day. That's all you can do. Sunday, did it start to feel like match play at a certain point? With Matt Wolf, after yeah. nine, once we both made those, you know, I felt like okay, this is, this is it. This is just between us. And lucky enough that I got a couple breaks on the back nine, and he did. You know, I hit a drive on twelve that missed a little right, bounced in the rough, came out in the fairway. His bounce in the same area, I just didn't get a good bounce and stayed in the rough. Um, albeit it didn't, you know, didn't affect anything. We both made par, but you know, there's just things that happened that went my way, and I felt like. On 14, when I got that up and down, when I made that 10-footer up the hill, he missed it. Right when he missed it, I knew if I make this, this is game over. This is – I am have so much momentum going my way, and I'm not going to let it go. I made the putt, and that's why I gave it the fist pump. And I knew at that point it's, it's full go. And I had to calm myself down. There were multiple times where you could see me walking fast, and then I just immediately slow down and change everything and control the situation. Um, something I learned from Tiger, uh, you know, he's, I, I wa just watching him, never talked about it, but just watching him, you know, he was so good at controlling the situation. And that's what I, what, what I tried to do. And I think I did it pretty well. I'd say so. You changed drivers on the range. I noticed right before your round, you, I think you correct me if I'm wrong. It seemed like you hit one ball with one driver and then that was it. Then you grabbed another one. What happened there? 
I, I was too high a spin rate for some reason. Just the lop was too much. And I knew it was going to spin too much if I hit it in the middle of the face. And when I hit it in the middle of the face with the other driver, with a five-degree driver, um, it was coming out with better spin. So when I hit off the toe, it was perfect. Hit off the heel, too much spin. Middle of the face, it was okay. But yeah, you know, I'm pretty good at knowing, okay, that's just not going to work. I feel it off the face, middle of the face. It's like, that's just not good. Do you tweak equipment a lot right before rounds or, you know, carry multiple drivers? Obviously, we know you carry multiple drivers because you snapped one and then uh, put the replacement into play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I do, I do quite a bit for the most part. Um, trying to back up stuff just in case because you never know what's going to help you win a tournament. I mean, my manager, Tim, Caddy, uh, they work so hard to have things prepared and ready for me because they know how important it is. You know, one little thing could change everything. And, you know, they do their best to, to make my life as easy as possible. And, and I really appreciate them for doing that. Um, you know, so Connor has multiple things, you know, whether it's wedge backup set, close at hand in the car. Or, you know, an iron set back up if something's wrong with the grooves or whatever. Or it's just not going with the turf right. Or, you know, a three-wood shaft, a driver shaft, three-wood head, driver head. It's whatever it is that we do have a backup set just in case. Because you just never know when something's going to go awry. And you're like, well, we don't have anything and we got to ship it. And we get, it's just, it's just uh, something you don't want to have happen during a major championship. All right, you're coming down the stretch. You mentioned that moment where you kind of realized that – how do you then get it in the house when, because that's, it's a somewhat rare thing, right? Having a few holes to play and knowing that, okay, I'm in control of this PGA tour event. It's different than, you know, you're tied with someone. It's like, you know, it's almost like you just don't want to lose it at that point. So how do you stay focused and stay aggressive? Because it seemed like you were really trying to do that. Yeah. And you know, Tim was great at keeping me aggressive. We just kept saying, this is where we need to put it. This is the yardage. We double checked our numbers going, okay. This is a shot. You got to hit it one, you know, 73. You got to hit it 167, whatever it was. We just kept focused on the task at hand. There were moments where I got chills because I knew that it was over. I knew that it was going to happen. And every time I kept telling myself, I suppressed it. I mean, I got it on 14. When I made the putt on 14, I got straight up chills throughout my whole body. And I said to myself, it's not over. It's not over. I could do something dumb. I could do something dumb. You have to focus. You have to focus. And I just kept thinking to myself, it's not over. You got to get it done. And that's, that's all I did. So on 17, when I kind of knew it was, it was already over, uh, Timmy said something to me, and I was like, Tim, it's not over. I looked at him. I'm like, dude, it's not over. We have, to, we have a job to do. We got to go make another birdie. We got to get in the house. Uh, we got to get in the house at seven. I kept telling him, like, we got to get in the house at seven. We got to get, you know, and I tried. I tried my absolute hardest to do that, and uh, it didn't happen that way, but I still won the tournament. It, I just kept me thinking about, finishing it off properly rather than going oh i'm gonna win i'm not worried about it you hit a little air shot ah it's not a big deal no no no, no. I, I didn't want to finish off that way i wanted people to know that no matter what i'm gonna work as hard as i possibly can till till it's over till the 72nd hole is done and uh, tim was really good about keeping me in the moment except for that that little moment on 17 but but again you know we, we focused right back up and uh, we executed as, as good as we possibly could tigers talked about that he's like if I play you in ping pong, I don't just want to beat you. I want to crush you, um, you know, and obviously he felt that way on the golf course too. Do you feel that way? Like, is there something nice about having a, a six shot win instead of, you know, edging someone out with a bogey on the last hole? 
Yeah, I would say I don't want to feel like I'm stepping on their throats or anything like that. It's more of now, as a kid, I like that. But now it's more of I want to let the numbers play out to where the house the house is just going to win. Like no matter what, like, we'll just keep playing. Just keep playing. I'm eventually going to beat you because it's just the, the stats are, and the statistics are just in my favor. That's more the way I look at it. And so as it was playing itself out, I just it was just like I was sitting back. I was still focused, still determined to do the job because that's what I had to do. But I was just letting the, the, the statistics play out, and uh, it, it was cool to see it in that manner uh, play out in that way. It was not about stepping on anybody's neck or, or pushing pedal to the metal or anything. It was more about it was it was awesome seeing the numbers play out. What was that moment like on eighteen? I mean, there were actually more spectators than I would have expected because it seemed like the volunteers kind of all congregated around the green at that point. Um, but then obviously you get to go see your team, uh, you know, Brett, your agent, Connor, your manager, uh, Chris, your coach, and then Tim's there. And, and, and my, what, what was that moment like? What did that mean to you? Well, it's definitely a moment that I will appreciate and never forget for the rest of my entire life. They have done so much for me. My whole team has done so much for me that I, I can never repay them for uh, believing in, in me the way that they have. You know, Connor giving everything he, he has to make me feel comfortable. Tim working his, his butt off on the golf course, getting the right numbers and um, making me feel comfortable on the golf course. Brett for supporting me and believing in me no matter what's happening off the field. Um, and then you got Chris, you know. Chris is the man that just wants to give me an advantage. Just wants to say, look, this is a way to uh, dominate the field. And then he was able to help me work through that process and figure it out. And, and even Greg Roscoff. I mean, I got to give Greg and MET a shout because he was the one that, that allowed me to believe I could do this safely. I could grow and get bigger safely. And, uh, you know, there's so many people in the background. You got Steve uh, with Sick Golf, you know, the, the putters that they've done, the whole Cobra Puma team with the showman, his work that he put in to help me um, perform at my optimal level. You have Bridgestone, uh, you know, their, their R&D team, their tour development team that, you know, everybody's a huge part of this. It's not just me. I mean, you know, everybody can say, oh, you won the tournament. No, no, no. You know, the team won the tournament. And that's that's why, you know, we're, I'm throwing a party here on Sunday for everybody that's associated with my team because that's what it's about. It's not about me. It's about everybody that worked their butts off to help me be the best I could possibly be. And, you know, I, I think that's what's most important to this whole process is to realize that and accept the fact that it's not just me. It's it's everyone that's that's helping me do this. Let's take a quick break because this episode of The Drop Zone is brought to you by Cobra Puma Golf. It's funny, I've been getting a bunch of texts from friends these past couple weeks about single length irons. Folks are very curious, how is it that Bryson is doing what he's doing? Obviously his speed zone one length irons are part of that. The key is right there in the name of the clubs, the one length irons. We've tried them out in our office earlier this year and uh, actually I think I hit one of the purest five irons of my life. Our senior writer, Alan Shipnick, swears by these one-length irons. He's got them in his bag, and it's pretty obvious that no brand is creating these single-length irons like Cobra is. They offer them in sets for elite players, people just learning the game, 
really for everyone. And uh, to get a set of your own, head to cobragolf.com today. It's a pretty crazy post-round you know, schedule that the, the tour puts you through, or in this case, the USGA puts you through right when you win. I, I mean, and I've gone to a bunch of golf tournaments, but I was really struck by just how many interviews you have to do right after you win, like before you really even get to process things. And is it weird because you have to talk about, you know, how you're feeling about it before you've even had a chance to really feel that? Yeah, you know, it, it definitely was. I, I couldn't conceptualize what I had just done other than the fact that I knew I won. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was it was a tough moment for me. I mean, especially when my parents were on the screen after I came out of scoring and they were holding, I was like, what are you guys holding me? Like, what's going on? I had no idea that they were going to be there. And that's another big factor for me that, that, and I'll get to the media here in just a minute, but you know, my parents, they gave so much for me to, to be able to be in this position. And I, I lost it. I mean, I could have really lost it in that moment. I, I did my best of all to hold it in because I didn't want to look like a, a crying baby out there. But you know, when I see them, they're coming tomorrow. Actually, when I see them tomorrow, uh, it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be, a, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for me because they they just have done so much. They've given so much up for me uh, to be in this position. And it's, it's all thanks to them. But, you know, from a media perspective, you know, we, I don't know how many I did, dude. I, I think it was over 15, somewhere around the, yeah. the realm of that, I would say two and a half hours of you know, talking about what this means, you know, the game size, all this. Uh, which is great. I'm not complaining one bit. You know, I think it's amazing that you know, winning a U.S. Open, you know, you, you get to have that ability to talk to everyone um, and, and share your opinion with with all of them. So, but yes, it is a lot of work. I was very, yeah. very tired. I'm telling you, I went to bed at 12. Uh, you know, normally most people are going to bed at 2, 3 a.m. or whatever. But right after that, I was I was pretty much toast. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a nice party after, as you know, but uh after i was i was just uh, i felt really tired that's all i can say yeah i mean no it makes sense the the you know it's yeah it's the media it's the golf channel right afterwards it's yeah the whole scrum with a bunch of us and then it's like today's show espn golf channel etc and i was interested to see um connor who's your manager kind of at some point was like all right hold on guys like Let's get my man a steak here. Let's take a second. Like, let's not let the car overheat here. And I thought that that was interesting just to see how the, the whole process works. He knows when I'm getting tired and, and even Brett does too. They, they're really good at saying, okay, he is getting very close to being done. Cause I feel like I'm pretty generous with my time. Um, you know, it's, and I, I speak a lot. I talk a lot. I love talking and explaining myself as much as possible but it, it gets a little tough sometimes um, and they're really good at, at, at controlling that. And so that's why I have a team around me to, to control that. Cause if not, I just keep going. I just keep going and going yeah. and saying yes to whatever. Um, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at saying no, <laughs> especially going on tour. I was terrible at that. And, yeah. You know, that's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing, but um, you know, they're, they're, I got to live a life too eventually. Uh, totally. But at the same point in time, I wouldn't trade it for the world. We'll let you out of here before too long, but just just a couple more. I'm wondering about the the reactions from around the golf world, um, because 
I mean, obviously everyone was blown away by the accomplishment, but people were also like, wow, this really feels like a, a moment of change for golf. Um, you know, Rory talked about that a little bit. Brandel Chambly talked about that. Uh, you know, various people were in the news for saying, this feels different. This feels like, is this approach going to take over? What do you make of that reaction? I think it will. I, I think I've looked at many scenarios you know, what scenario would this not work in? And I'm finding it very difficult. I'm having a very difficult time finding that scenario. Uh, Chris is as well. And, and I can think I can speak on his behalf on that. There's only a few instances that may hinder it a bit, but no matter what, hitting a 710 yards is a pretty dang good advantage no matter where you are. And I think that uh, there's only a couple cases that I've thought of that, that may hinder it. And I will not speak on that because I don't want people to find it out. But uh, as of right now, um, I, I do believe that I inspire, I hopefully inspire a generation that will come out here and think differently and, and bomb it. And, you know, there's going to be a guy that's six, seven that comes out on tour and, you know, he's 270 pounds and can swing it and control the whole golf club. And it's a 48 inches and you know, technology is good enough where the shaft is stable enough and, you know, hitting off the toe and the heel, they're just as accurate as somebody that's hitting a 280. Um, that's that's going to be a scary day. That's where the golf world changes forever. I don't know if I've done it, but I think I've I've hit a mark where people are like, okay, it's possible. Let's go. Yeah. I'm not sure you can get to 6.7, but you might be on your road to 2.7. Yeah, I don't think I can without stretching my whole body out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you can look into that next. Um, can you design for me a golf course that you would not – play well on or that's what you're keeping a secret trying to keep a secret on but you know something like atlanta athletic club uh excuse me east lake my bad east lake uh tour championship was was pretty difficult but again i'm even in that scenario i'm still hitting four ends off the tee that are going 280 so you know that's pretty good and then hitting a pitching wedge in um so that would be a place where it would hinder it a little bit uh, with bermuda rough bunkers in front of the greens and stuff like that where you can't run it up that's kind of where it hinders it a bit and you get firm greens but at the same point in time still hitting it that far i mean you're hitting iron wedge into a green as long as your iron play is good enough your putting's good enough you're still gonna still gonna win so yeah. that would be one of the worst case scenarios that i could imagine um and you can still do pretty well on that i think yeah well that's, that's what i was trying to imagine not to get too far down hypotheticals but you know if wingfoot had a pond in front of every single green Right. Would you have approached the golf course differently and tried to hit more irons and get it in the fairway or not even still? At a certain point, that has to be the case. Um, yeah. You know, especially with the greens being so firm and whatnot, there's going to come a point in time. But again, if you do that, the whole field has to deal with it all the way back from where they are. So yeah. it also makes it really difficult for them. So this is balance, right? You see, oh, this is a place where it could hurt them. But then it's like, oh, well, it's going to hurt everybody else, too. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to find it. Um, length is king in the game now. Length is definitely king. Matty Wolf hit it by you a couple times. He did. Sunday. My spin rate was 3,000, though. I'll get it to, once I get it to 2,000. You'll notice my ball speed was about eight miles an hour faster than every time. So I'm not going to speak too much of that, but, but yeah. All right. I just wanted to know if you were aware of that and you were, you know, taking notice. that. Trust me. I don't, I don't look at that lightly. That did not make me happy. Uh, well, I mean, those fairways were kind of concrete. So some of those tee shots that came in and started running, like Patrick Reed hit a couple three woods that were 
bullets that ran out to like 330. And that's also a case where, you know, again, I had 3000 spent on the driver this past week. Um, and we're working on taking that down right now. Um, but it was also good for me because it kept it in the fairway. They were super tight and landed in the fairway when it stopped a lot quicker than others. And, you know, maybe they had 2,200 and it ran through the fairway. So it actually was a bit of an asset for me. Even though I was hitting a little shorter, uh, it still allowed me to stay in a lot of the fairways. What's next for you? You've talked about testing a 48-inch driver. I know sometimes, you know, this R&D stuff you keep under the hood a little bit. But what, what can you tell us about what you're working on, what you've got in your brain that, you know, you, you want to try out? I've got some ideas about a golf ball design, golf ball design thing. And then, uh, you know, what I talked to you guys about last week, um, you know, I know, I know you know what that is, right? The 48 inch driver? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I might've already tested it by the way. <laughs> You're going to make us wait and see. I guess we're not, we can't go to a golf course and hopefully, you know, find you hitting it out on the golf course because you don't do that. So we're going to have to like really wait till you get back into tournament play. Well, no. Yeah. There have been some people that have, uh, videoed it all, although it's probably, it's going to be very difficult to find. Um, but I will tell you that it's astounding. It is potentially game breaking. Um, if it's done right. Doesn't, doesn't the spin just go like through the roof though on a super? Not if you build the shaft right. Not if you build the shaft right. Because right, it's, it's like if he did. It, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned spin like, you know, five, six times. And I can only imagine when you have that much speed, right? Like spin becomes the enemy because you're just constantly yeah. trying to bring it down. That's why you have yeah. more loft on your putter than driver, as they said yeah. on the broadcast a million times. But um, yeah. that's just what I'm curious to see, I guess. Like, how do you control the spin when you've got 48 inches? Well, the friction value of the face is a big deal. Sometimes when you go up in roughness on the face, you can actually lose spin. And it's because of how it's interacting with the face. So, you can imagine the ball winds and unwinds on a face. Now, if it's slick enough, and it's low enough loft, it can hit and slide up the face, which would create more spin. So the slicker it is, the more spin it would actually get. But sometimes the roughness, when it compresses, it, it won't allow it to go up, and it's winding and unwinding off of it. And so when you have a certain roughness, you get a certain roughness on the face, it'll actually come off with less spin sometimes. So you work on the face roughness, you work on the compression of the golf ball, bunch of other things there's also loft to it uh that all matters that can help aid in controlling spin uh, and then you have to build the shaft right so it deflects properly so you get the right dynamic loft that impact do the uh do the engineers at cobra love you or hate you both <laughs> both what do you i mean uh, i think with some major champions the tendency is to win and then have a little bit of a letdown because that's the the top to some extent i, I don't get the sense that that's how you're feeling at the moment I missed that shot on 18 uh, out to the right with the hybrid. I'm not happy about that. Uh, so I'm, I'm at, I, on Monday, I was working out for two hours with Greg up in Denver and then Tuesday, another two hours. So in a span of 16 hours, I worked out with him uh, four hours. Uh, so I feel super strong, way stronger than when I uh, came into the U.S. Open. And uh, we did some speed training yesterday and we did some crazy things that uh, – just know that there's going to be something fun coming out if uh, Shriners comes about. Anything else you can tell us about Augusta and your game plan for attacking Augusta? Are there any? You know, Getting it past be, 320 is the goal every time. Past 320. If I can do that, the, the golf course is open. Interesting. That opens up to some new windows on the course, I would imagine. Very much so. Yeah. Like, like Tiger 
what he, what Tiger did yeah. back in you know ninety seven I think it was. You you used the word game breaking uh, a couple answers ago. Do you ever hear people say, "Oh, Bryson's breaking the game of golf"? What do you think of it? I mean, look, I'm just using the knowledge, the the speed, the power to the greatest advantage I possibly can under the rules of the game. That's all I'm doing. And there comes a point in time where you look, you still have to wedge it well. But I'll tell you that um, I did go out and hit a couple drives on a couple holes, and I drove at least. Um, three greens and I played like five holes, six holes. Yeah. I won't tell you how far anything it was, but yeah, there's there's some really interesting things going on right now. All right, last question for me: What has been your favorite part of all of this? What you know, what has made you the most happy uh, of your recent success? And has there been one moment where you've just been able to sit back and say, you know? This is really cool. I'm really having a good time doing this. I think the most inspiring moment to me personally and, and validating and cool moment is when kids on the driving range come up to me and they're super excited to, to meet me and they're like, I just want to, I want to drive it like you. I want it as far as you. I want to do that. I think that's the most rewarding uh, thing that I could possibly uh, feel ever because, you know, I, 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 my goal is to inspire a new generation like Tiger did for me. Um, I think that's super cool. That's something that uh, I live my life for, for sure. All right. Well, Bryson, we appreciate the time. Definitely uh, a lot of insights there. I'm going to go call Greg Roskopf myself, see if I can get uh, get some time on his schedule. Uh, but best of luck. Enjoy. Take some time to celebrate. And uh, we'll see you at Augusta. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for part two of our sit down with Bryson DeChambeau. And thanks so much to Bryson for taking the time. And uh, thanks so much to my co-host, Sean Zock, who expertly produced both episodes this week back in the ones and twos. Thanks to you guys for listening. And thanks to our friends at Cobra Puma Golf who sponsored this episode of the Drop Zone. I can confidently say that Puma makes some of the most comfortable golf shoes out there. We at the Drop Zone have been big Puma golf shoe fans for years and the Ignite Power Adapt cage shoes do not disappoint. They are as good as they come. These kind of golf shoes you can wear all day long. You can wear them hanging with friends, heading to the golf course, stopping at dinner afterwards. We even wear them to the office. So check them out and get your own pair at pumagolf.com. We'll see you next week.